This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. President Trump suggesting last weekend that he was hoping to have the U.S. economy up and running, at least in some parts, by Easter Sunday, April the 12th. But Dr. Anthony Fauci quickly said that that idea was fluid, depending on developments around the spread of coronavirus. In fact, many other leaders in the medical community believe that the April 12th date is not realistic due to the fact that some areas have not reached the apex of their spread. Dr. Larry Jamison, who is dean of the Perelman School of Medicine here at the University of Pennsylvania, talked about this in an opinion piece that was recently published in the New York Times, and he is a uh, given us his time here today, and we're very uh, proud to have him with us. Dr. Jameson, thank you. I know you're very busy uh, with everything going on at, at the hospital, so thank you for your time today. Great to join you, Dan. Thank you. So tell us more about the piece that you wrote, and, and I should note that this was not just your opinion, but you had also talked with several of your colleagues as well. Right, Dan. So I'm in close contact with a lot of my colleagues at other academic health system. So I, I reached out to uh, groups at NYU Langone in New York, clearly a hot spot, uh, Johns Hopkins, the Mayo Clinic, Mass General in Boston, uh, major center in San Francisco and, and Baylor in Texas. I, I thought it was really important that people that are running large health systems uh, speak out about some of the strategies that we're pursuing. We've, we've heard some very good uh, information from some of the, the politicians and governors and, and mayors, epidemiologists who study uh, the virus. But you know, those of us running the large health systems are planning for a surge, and we wanted to uh, try to communicate strategies that we thought could help where the public could, could weigh in and help us deal with this surge. So is that, that surge the greatest concern of, of that group right now? And, and how do you expect to, to potentially to see that play out in, in maybe in a time frame or, or in terms of numbers of people? Yeah, the surge is our greatest concern because it's going to stretch uh, the capacity of our intensive care units and our ability to have patients on, on ventilators. Uh, we're also concerned about the, the safety of our healthcare workers because uh, the, the surge will create operational challenges if our healthcare workers uh, become infected or have to go into quarantine. Uh, it's going to make the, the problem even more challenging. Uh, so we've tried to model this. Uh, there's a, a program that was written by our data scientists here at, at Penn. Uh, anyone can look this up. It's called Penn Chime, as in a bell chiming. Uh, you can see some of the parameters in it. It allows us to predict uh, when the peak will occur. It also allows us to predict if we take stronger measures to create physical distancing, you know, how will that affect the peak and, and the timing when it occurs? So our, our current modeling as of today is somewhere between uh, the middle of May and late May for the Philadelphia area. Uh, this will vary around the country. Uh, it depends on what the doubling rate is. That's the most important variable in the, in the model. And we're currently seeing a doubling rate that's around three or four days. You mentioned uh, about some of the, uh, the, the things that were put into place in terms of distancing and, and some of the other needs that we probably need, need to look at right now. But then, you know, if you go back a week, obviously we saw the video of all of the kids on spring break down on the beaches of Florida 
And, and I guess my bigger question is, is it sounds like the messaging or the delivery in many cases is not as good as it should be, whether that be at the federal level or if it's at the state level in different parts of the country. Right. So I, I had a chance to hear uh, the earlier session on your show talking about communication and communication and crisis management. I thought it was a, a really good discussion. And I, I agree with you. What, what I would say is every American has a role to play. Uh, this is a time people want to help. And they can help by slowing the spread of this virus. And it's going to take some fairly extreme personal steps for people to, to really listen to the messages out there about, I don't like the term social distancing. I prefer physical separation because this virus is communicated by droplets. Uh, the droplets can reside on, on surfaces for, depending on the nature of the surface, somewhere between hours and, and a day. Um, the droplets spread at about a six-foot distance. That's why you've heard that guidance. But it's really important that people not gather in crowds like you're, you're talking about. And, you know, here in Philadelphia, we, we acted pretty early, and hopefully this is going to, to help us out. Uh, but I can still see uh, crowds of people gathering in selected places. And it's, it's not wise. It's not wise for themselves. It's not wise for their families and their friends. And just in terms of, of responsibility, it's not smart because, uh, you know, people are going to die as a result of that. And again, if you can, Dr. Jameson, that, that timeline you talked about, at least here in the Philadelphia area, let's go back to that for a second, because if, if I heard you correctly, you're talking about a mid to late May kind of peak of everything here in Philadelphia. Now, obviously, other parts of the country will will be different. But for those of us here in the Philadelphia area, then you're still talking about well over a month before we really get to that point. That's right, Dan. It's it's a long time. I'm not sure any of us have ever experienced anything like this. Uh, it's going to be very challenging. I think we're going to have to learn new, new and novel ways to communicate with our friends and our colleagues, how we do our work. It's going to be a protracted uh, period of time, but it it is very important. Uh, you know, I would think about an analogy like a like a brush fire or a forest fire. And, you know, what are the parameters that can, can lead it to spread? You know, we know that if the ground is very dry, if there hasn't been rain, if the wind starts blowing, it's going to spread more quickly. So what I want us to do is to slow the spread here. You know, think about the physical separation being like the wind uh, blowing or not blowing. And if we can slow this down, it will buy us time to create some, some new actions like the development of, of medications that might be effective, uh, the development of vaccines that we can begin uh, to get out. Uh, but if we can buy the scientists' time, and we've got some you know, really novel uh, things underway at Penn Medicine, and we're communicating with our colleagues not only across the United States, but really the world, uh, including many people that have been working on this problem in Asia for some time. So then it's not a surprise to you that we're starting to hear reports of uh, uh, of ramping up of the numbers of cases in places like Georgia and, and in Louisiana as well, maybe, you know, somewhat uh, lower on the level over the first couple of weeks uh, of this, but now starting to pick up. That's right. I think that's the way uh, this is likely to evolve. We saw that play out in, in China, where it, it began in, in Wuhan, uh, 
But then as people traveled from there to other parts, uh, that spark would uh, start to flame and the flame would grow. Uh, so we currently see the outbreak in places like uh, Seattle, San Francisco, New York, uh, New Orleans, uh, but it will begin to show up in less populated areas, and then it will grow and become larger there. So that's, that's the kind of time that I would like to see us by. Uh, let's develop the tests. Let's get right. the tests out there so that people can be identified, uh, put into isolation, and then slow down the spread. What do you think that then is the realistic timeline in terms of vaccines? And I know there are so many companies and entities that, that are working on, on different ideas right now. And I know having talked with about the pharma industry for so long on this show that the normal time frame in terms of trying to get something through and approved is normally 12 to 18 months. But it seems like with the push and obviously the maybe the help of the government and obviously there's the testing element as well that we're going to try and see of how quickly we can kind of maybe even push those those old timelines a little bit. Exactly. So uh, I think we've all heard Dr. Fauci uh, on television and other medium. Uh, he's a colleague of mine on a textbook we work on together. I really respect uh, what he's been communicating, but I, I would hope that we can find ways to shorten that timeline. Uh, there are new kinds of vaccines that are being developed uh, that we haven't had in the past, uh, DNA-based vaccines, RNA-based vaccines. Uh, the production of those potentially can go uh, more rapidly. I know a number of people are in touch with the FDA about the structure of the clinical trials to evaluate vaccines and to monitor their safety and, and efficacy. Uh, people are developing ways to measure the immune response uh, to vaccines. So there are uh, new, new approaches to this, and we're working on this in real time, but I certainly would agree with you. If there's any way that we can shorten that timeline, uh, I would love to see that happen. If we have people do a better job of doing the social distancing and, and being aware of, of some of these elements that you laid out and other experts from the health field have laid out, do we do we still need to consider the proverbial shutdown that has been talked about? And obviously, certain states are doing it. Countries are, are doing it more often. Or if the social distancing component is good enough, do we need to go to that next step, to the shutdown? Well, I think the, the language here uh, can mean different things to okay. different people. Okay. Uh, I mean, to, to some extent... Uh, if, if we look at what's been effective, uh, particularly in, in South Korea and in China, uh, there were major components like case finding, tracing the contacts, isolating those people early. And, and the reason that's so important is the way this spreads is, you know, one person infects two to three others, maybe even more than that. Those people in turn have the potential to infect two to three others. And so this is why these mathematical models are showing the exponential growth. The, the shutdown is important so that we can, can keep the, the numbers low. Once they start to, to grow, uh, they grow very fast. And if, if you look at that Penn Chime model, you can put in the parameters yourself and, and see you know, how quickly uh, the numbers can escalate. Right. Uh, so I think the physical the physical separation is important, but it's also important to be isolated as much as one can uh, to prevent that kind of spread. 
Dr. Jameson, great information. Thank you very much for your time, sir, and hopefully we can call on you again as uh, as uh, this continues to develop. Well, thanks for having me on, Dan. Uh, everyone has a, a role to play in helping us deal with this, and I, I appreciate your uh, communication out to the community. Thank you, sir. Dr. Larry Jameson, Dean of the Perelman School of Medicine here at the University of Pennsylvania with some very, very important information. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.